Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Today is the Sunday of, called the Sunday of the Prodigal Son, or the Sunday of the Wasteful Son, or some people have renamed him the Sunday of the Wise Son. Um, and just as a little primer, really quickly in 30 seconds, how the readings of Lent work. Every week has a theme, and each theme leads to the next the next week's theme. So last week was the Sunday of temptation. Um, and the climax of, like it's, it's like everything is building up till Sunday. So all of the readings of this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, were all leading up to Sunday. So if you want to read, for example, the readings of this coming week, suppose, um, you know, as your own devotion to God during Lent, you say, I want to read the, the readings um, uh, of Lent. And so you just, you know, go online and Google Coptic Lectionary or download the Coptic Reader app or, or whatnot, right? Um, the first thing you should do is go and see what's the, what's the gospel of the coming Sunday going to be. And you'll find that all the readings day by day are leading up to, to that. So today's gospel is the climax of everything that we've been reading and praying about all week. And this is probably the most referenced teaching of Jesus. It's actually probably the most referenced thing in the whole Bible is this parable of the prodigal son. You can imagine how hard it is to preach about something that is the most preached about thing in the whole world. What new thing am I going to come up with, you know, because to keep your attention, I need some kind of aspect of novelty. Well, there's nothing new under the sun and there's certainly nothing new to God and the word is God's word. So I've learned over a few years, it's taken me some years, not to worry too much about that. God provides the word and he gives it to us. The, this is the Sunday of the prodigal son. So there's, there are about five characters in this story. There's the wasteful son and then there is his brother and then there is their dad and then there are the servants um, and then there are the friends of, of the, the wasteful son, right? Those are probably the characters uh, in this story. Maybe you could say the friends of the elder son as well. He says, you never gave me a goat that I might share it with my friends. Sure. So there are these different characters. And we can all see ourselves sometimes in the persona of one of these characters. In short, in summary, the, the story as Jesus tells it is that there's a man who had two sons and the younger son you know, younger, foolish, not as wise, not as sharp, not necessarily as savvy, you know, not, doesn't have as much etiquette, tells his dad, look, dad, no one's going to live forever, you know, and when you die, you're a rich man, everything that you have, you're going to divide it up between the two of us. So why don't you give me my portion, because I want to go see the world, right? I'm out of here. I, I, I want to go where no one's going to ask me, when am I going, where am I coming, who's, you know, uh, who are you with, and how when are you coming back, and why are you late, and look, Okay, so just give me, you're good as dead to me, give me the money, and I'm out of here. Not a very nice thing to say, but anyhow, his father gives him the money, and off he goes. He wastes it in all kinds of wasteful living, right? Um, uh, and uh, we don't know what he actually does, but we know what his elder brother accuses him of. He accuses him of wasting the money on, on drink and prostitutes and so on. Um, and then he realizes that he has no money, he has nowhere to live. He has nothing to do. He has nothing to eat. 
and he begs a, a pig farmer. At the time, remember, swine, pig, pigs were, were like, like a, an unclean animal. So you became ceremonially unclean, unable to participate in, in liturgical, in, 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 in the rites of their, of their religion. You became unclean, untouchable, like, you know, like somebody off in a corner, uh, if you touched a, a, a dog or a pig and so on, all of these different unclean animals. He, so you can see like the shame that he was living in and the poverty. And he thinks to himself, hold on a second. My father has, and his servants have more than, my servants have more than enough bread and to spare. And, and I'm sitting here and I'm begging food from the pigs. Says, I'll go back to my father and I'll tell him, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He goes off, he meets his dad, and his dad sees him coming a far way off, and he, he tells him, he receives him with love, um, and he does a whole bunch of things that we'll talk about in a little bit more detail. Then the elder son gets kind of jealous, and he says, Hold on, dad. You, this son of yours, Notice he doesn't refer to him as my brother, but this son of yours. But anyways, right? He went and he wasted, his, he wasted your money. And first of all, you know, he took what was not rightfully his. Then he wasted it. And now he comes back. And then you, 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 you throw a party for him like you've never thrown in your life before. And the father says something. He says, my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And... Though there are variations of this parable, there are variations of this story in every major world religion. I was really like, very interested to find that there's an analog which is somewhat different and ends differently in Islam, in Judaism, in the Kabbalah in Judaism. It's in like the mystical writings. Uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Buddhism um, and in Hinduism. Um, in all of those sort of major world uh, world religions, there are analogs to a, a, a story of a father who had two sons and one of them acted up and how the father dealt with the one who acted up. Now, how the story ends is very different in all of these different major world religions, which is kind of interesting. But that just goes to show how, um, um, how much this, this is the central teaching of the gospel. This is the central teaching of the gospel. And you've probably, you've, you, you, you may or may not have heard so much already said about the prodigal son. And I think each of us can, and I kind of summarize the story for us all just to refresh our memories. Because we can all probably see ourselves sometimes as the prodigal son. Coming back to God our Father and coming back to Him and thinking, gee, I've wasted so many years. Well, I've wasted so many opportunities, or I wasted the opportunity I had in this in this job, or or in this uh, or in this relationship, or I just or I just wasted time, or or whatever it, it may be, right? And we come back to God, and this and this parable gives us enormous confidence in God and in His acceptance of us. But I ask you a question: Why do we have that confidence in God due to this parable? Because of the character, forgive the rhetorical question, because of the character of the father. Because what does the father say to the elder son? When this elder son tells him, look, this son of yours wasted money which doesn't even belong to him with prostitutes and, and drunkards and this and that and so on and so on. What does the father say? The first two words he says, he says, the first three words he says, this, my son. 
And this story reminds us, reveals to us, enlightens us that there's nothing that we can do as children of God to lose our status of children of God, of sonship. Like what he did was unthinkable, was unthinkable. I, I, I've, done, I've done a whole lot of terrible things to my parents. They'll probably be coming in a few weeks for, for the Feast of the Resurrection. You can ask them what are the most horrible things I've ever done to them. They'll laugh and tell you all kinds of funny stories. I've done all kinds of... But I've never walked up to them and told them, you're as good as dead, as, as dead to me. Whatever I would have inherited when you were dead, please give it to me. And uh, if you have done that to your parents, I don't think you have, but if you have done that to your parents... You and I know that that still wouldn't change my status as their son. There's nothing I can do to lose the status of being the son of my father and mother. And there's nothing in the whole wide world, even if my parents disown me, right? Like it says, like it says in the Psalms and like it says in, like it says in the book of Isaiah, right? In the book of Isaiah it says, If a nursing mother forgets her nursing child, even I will not forget you. The Lord says. In the Psalms it says, If my father and mother forsake me, like when they, you know, abandon me, even then the Lord will be with me. So we have enormous proof that the ultimate parenthood, the ultimate fatherhood and motherhood is found in God and there's nothing that we can do to lose, to lose that. And that's what's so encouraging to us as we return to God. Now, I want to kind of take a look at this parable from a slightly, in light of all of this, from a slightly different perspective. Because each one of us, at different times in our lives and so on, can be a different character in this story. I've also been the elder son who felt entitled and felt, how come? And how come, God, you treat this person this way and you treat me this way? And why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and so on and so on? And the answer to that question is found in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk turns to God and he says, God, you're, you are unfair, right? Because why do the wicked prosper? And he goes on and on with that. But that's the story of the elder son and I'm sure I've done that. I want to take it from a different perspective. I think God is calling you and me to be another character in this story. I think he's also calling you and me to be the father. Sometimes he is the father. By no means am I saying we are replacing God. Let us say, if you find it offensive that I tell you that God is calling you and me to be the father, fine. Let us be the servants. I knew, I, I, I foreknew that, I foresaw some people will, will feel, wait a minute, I can't be the father. God is the father in this story. I can be the father, right? No, God is calling you to be the father. Are you not a member of the body of Christ? Are you not a member of the body of Christ? When the father is sitting on a, on a little doorman stool at the, at the gates of his house, looking with his eyes that are getting dim because he's old and he's looking and he's squinting all day long he's squinting he thinks he saw he thinks he saw something over the hill over there and he's squinting and he's looking who is that is that oh no it's just tumbleweed you know and then he looks again oh i it, i think that's is that what oh no it's just the the, the, the cucumber guy coming with his donkey and the cucumbers this is oh there's somebody else coming oh right for days and days and weeks and weeks waiting looking searching 
And as soon as he sees him, he runs. He runs to him. God is calling you and me to do that, to be that person. He's calling the church with a capital C, not only our parish, the church, the capital C, the body of Christ, you and me to do that. He is the head and we are his body. Can the father run without his body? Like his head's just going to, his body's going to sit there on the doorman stool and his head is going to run off to the hill to go, to go fall on the neck of the son and kiss him. The body's going to sit back and say, well, we'll see if the son's going to come back. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I might do it again. Right? So let's wait and see what he's going to do. No, of course not. God is calling you and me to carry him, to carry him. We are the body and he's the head. He's calling us to carry him. As we see, as we see a soul which is afflicted, a soul which is in despair, a person who is tired, a person who is hurting, a person who is broken, as we see them afar off, way, 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 way far away, we get up and we run to them. And we run to them. And embrace them and have compassion on them. And he says, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. By the way, in Jesus' time, old people don't run. Not only because they're, maybe they're old, maybe they, you know, maybe their mobility no longer allows it. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with their status. I went to uh, Kenya, I can't remember if it was this last August or, the, or two years ago. And Bishop Paul himself picked me up from the airport. He's a bishop. He's a bishop. I cried. I cried. Who am I? I'm nothing. Like, I could be his biological son. In terms of age, I'm nothing. In terms of status, I'm nothing. In terms of anything, I'm nothing. Who am I that he would leave all that he has to do? He's a bishop. He's, he has like, he has, I was registering something for him online and it said size of your congregation. He's like, I don't know, what should I write? Which congregation should I write? I said, I don't know, like just, you know, everything. He's like, I don't know, 50, 50, 50 60? It's like 56, what's he talking about? Most of his churches have at least a couple of hundred people. 50, 60,000. Six countries, hundreds of priests. I think I'm busy. He left all of that. Why? Because his son, he's like a father to me. His son was coming to visit him. In Africa. So he left everything. And he went to go pick him up from the airport. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? That he should do that. How about us? Do we do that? Or is my uh, schedule too full? And my time doesn't allow? And there's, there's things that I can't put aside. What did the father do when he saw his son coming up the hill? He pulled out his iPhone, I'm sure, and he looked. He opened the calendar app and he said, "Let's see if we can, let's see if we can just, you know, square off some time for him here between noon and 12:30. Here we go, right?" He threw it to the wind. Who cares? Who cares what I had to do today or tomorrow or forever? It doesn't matter. My son was dead and is alive again. My son. My son. God is calling you and me to do that. That's what the church is about. 
I'm not talking about the visions and mission statement of SMSK, a little parish down. No, I'm talking about the body of Christ. There's a verse, these days I'm reading in Job. There's a verse I read in Job, which I felt so vindicated when I read this, because sometimes I teach this, and sometimes people tell me, but Abuna, this doesn't make sense. Abuna, show me one verse in scripture. I found it. I found it because it is the truth. It's Job... Is Job 6.14. It says, To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. You know, if you have a friend, this weekend, I got to meet an old friend of mine. I hadn't seen him for about a year. He went through some really tough times. I tried to, to stand with him in his tough times and so on, but I got distracted and busy, and of course, and I lost touch with him. I saw him... And I told him, so-and-so, how are you doing? And he said, I'm good. I'm like, yeah? And you, some of you know my common question I ask people. I ask him, how's Jesus doing? How's he doing these days? Say hi to him for me when you speak to him next, right? My way of saying, you know, how's your life with God going? How are things going? Tell me. Tell me something nice about Jesus. Another famous phrase I say, right? How's Jesus doing? He says, I'm not so sure. I think he might have died a while ago. I was like, what? What happened? And he went on and on to tell me how unfaithful God has been to him since we parted ways. That person, that is called, by the way, just to call a spade a spade, that is called blasphemy. That is a sin. But that's okay. In that moment, Job is telling me, as, as Job's friends are pointing the finger at him and telling him, but you must have sinned, but you must have done something wrong. Job is telling them, to the afflicted, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the Almighty. Even so, this friend of mine is forsaking God. God is telling me, be kind to him. He doesn't need me to tell him, this is a sin. He knows. He knows that. He's a good, really good guy. God-fearing, God-loving guy who's really hurt. And he needs somebody to receive him with kindness. He doesn't need a sermon. He doesn't need preaching. He doesn't need a slap in the face. He might. God will direct you and he will direct me. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. He will tell you what to do. But in the overwhelming majority of instances, the father needs to run out to his son Forsake his dignity, his pride, his schedule, his calendar, his priorities, his other commitments. Forsake everything because my son has returned. And show him kindness and restore him back to his first state once again. I'll finish with a couple of stories. First one, I shared in our servants' meeting a while ago, maybe several months ago. There was this king of Israel called Manasseh. You'll find this in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, I believe, or 36. There was this king called Manasseh. Manasseh was a king of Judah, and he was wicked. His dad was King Hezekiah. He was really good. He took all the idols and all the, 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 the stones that, that they were worshipping and all the other gods and he destroyed them. And he was really, really good and he tried so hard to restore true worship in the kingdom of Judah. His son, Manasseh, was a piece of work. He 
when he became king, he restored all the idols and he added more and he added more high places and more idolatry and, and more this and more that. And he just broke every commandment he could, he could find under the sun. And God sent prophets and told him, dude, you're, they probably didn't say dude, but they said something like that. You're going to be in trouble. Careful. Watch out. God is going to send the Babylonians and they are going to take you away and they're going to put you in prison. They're going to throw you in the dungeon. Be careful. Guess what happened? Exactly that. Manasseh finds himself in stocks. You know, like, you know, and their hands and feet are like, you know, like chained to, to this board of wood. He finds himself in stocks. And he repents. And he says, God, I did wrong. I did wrong. Now, according to the character of God as we know him, what do you think God should do with Manasseh? Leave him in the dungeon forever? I doubt it. I don't think so. God seems to be merciful and kind and generous and forgiving and so on, right? Okay, so maybe he will allow him not to die in the dungeon. He'll like let him be a servant or something, you know? No, God doesn't do that. Okay, he'll let him get out scot-free. But he gets exiled to some distant island, lives his life there peacefully, and things end okay. No, he doesn't do that either. What does God do? He gets him out of the dungeon. He gets him out of prison. He brings him back to his kingdom, and he restores him back as king. He restores him. He gives him his position once again. That's what's intended. Most of the fathers have interpreted the ring that the father tells the servants to put on his finger as a signet ring, as a ring of authority. He's giving his, his son the, the, his stamp again so that he can sign for his father. That's what the father is doing. In the, in the hymn and the resurrection of the heavenly hosts, one of the verses says, He restored Adam to paradise. In the Midnight Praises, we say he opened the gate of paradise and restored Adam to his first authority once again. That's what God does. He restores. He brings us back to where we were. I, I mess up and he brings me back to where I, where I messed up and he says, okay, try again. You get another shot. Try again. That's what God is calling you and me to do. May we, be, may we be the hands and feet of God that do that, that do that truly. I'll finish with this, uh, with this story. I was, uh, Mary and I went to a restaurant once and I was standing by the door of the restaurant. I went and got the car, pulled it up and, you know, because it was cold and so on. And I'm standing at the door of the restaurant waiting for uh, Mary and Anna to come so can, we can leave. And I was looking at the uh, host stand, you know. They had the table map there and a few other things. And then they had this one thing that was handwritten. And it was circled in red like about a thousand times, you know. And it said, let every client have a warm greeting and every client leave feeling special. If restaurants whose goal is to make money, like they don't care what my name is. They just care that my name is the same one on the credit card, right? They don't care about me. They care about their bottom line. And I'm not, uh, I'm not judging them for that. Feel that way. How much more we, the servants in the house of our Father, how much more we, 
how much more we, the body of Christ, are we called to receive those who wish to return, those who are broken, those who are afflicted, those who are struggling, those who are hurting with love and with kindness and with acceptance and with the highest level of respect. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.